Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Hey, hey, good morning, church. Hey, glad you're hanging out with us today. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, So stoked that you would join us in service and worship today of Jesus. Who's excited about Jesus in this place? Yeah, okay, that was all right, but you're going to be real excited by the end of this, man. Um, oh, we're opening up the Word today. Maybe, you know, whenever you were younger, perhaps you've heard this song. Um, maybe, maybe not, but it, kind of, it goes like this. Um, Father Abraham had many sons and many, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Church, your Sunday school showing. You, you know, if you haven't heard that song, it's okay. It's actually a pretty great uh, summary for us as we've been talking through this really big idea of justification uh, by, by faith in Romans. Because what this song does is it actually reminds us uh, from, the, from the song that it's by faith alone in Christ alone, that, that you and I were not only counted righteous before God as we believe, but we're also uh, made uh, simultaneously included into the family of God, and so we belong. See, whenever it comes to faith, I think that believing and belonging, I think that they're really, really essential. And there's this theologian from Australia, uh, his name is Michael Bird, and he says this to this idea of faith, of believing and belonging. It'll be on the screen. Faith is not just what I assent to, it's also about who I belong to. Faith is about a family, a Christ-shaped, spirit-filled, and God-centered family. Faith isn't a privatized affair, it's a genuine family event. God doesn't save us and then just assign some number until it's time to go to heaven, one individual at a time. Rather, God saves us and he puts us into his family for the purpose of sharing in the family business of worship and mission. And then he goes on to say, our sense of identity, purpose, security, and worth is bound up with belonging. The church is the place where identity, purpose, security, and sense of worth is formed. It is this sense of belonging that enables us to flourish as individuals and even as whole communities. Church, I love that we get to talk about God's family uh, this morning in an Abraham story, especially in the context of where we are as a, as a church body, a church family together, getting ready to, to uh, build and plant this extension of Rest Church 
in Metropolis. Uh, and, and, and I love it because Abraham's story, when you break it down, I think it's really a story about believing and belonging. It's a story about faith over fear, and, and surely right now there are some doubts, you know, probably for many of us, and myself included, uh, on this plant and how it's going to go, but what we're doing as a church is we're, we're choosing to follow God in, in faith because we still believe that God is still in the business, that we are still in the, the business of adding people into his family, Amen. So with Abraham and his, his faith story, there's, there's a lot that we can learn from his story. And there's also a lot we can leave aside to, to not learn or unlearn from his, his faith story. And, and so for, in this attempt for me to communicate this really big idea, um, I want to give you a really little illustration so we can understand his, this context a little bit better. Pastor John, he used this photo, you can pull it up, uh, last week in service. Uh, Pastor John used this, so I thought I would recycle it this morning. This is the first person on the left, 23. This is MJ. Uh, this is the uh, original star of the original Space Jam, his airness, jump man. This is Michael Jordan. And, and Jordan, he's undeniably the goat of basketball greatness. Amen, right? Jordan, whenever he came into the league as a rookie, he won rookie of the year. Um, he led the league in scoring for 10 seasons. It's a stat that still stands today. Uh, he was the first player in NBA history to ever record a triple-double in the NBA Finals. He's got defensive first team nine times, uh, eight MVPs, six NBA championships, a gold medal, and a partridge in a pear tree. Now, odds are, whether, whether you're a basketball a fan or not, it doesn't matter. The odds are you probably know who MJ is he was prolific, he was a prototype, he was the first really to do many things in the NBA and for pro athletes after him. And, and look, I know, I know that all metaphors, they kind of limp, okay? But hang with me for, for just a second. Because for many, Abraham, he's really the MJ of faith. Pull that pick up. He's regarded, Abraham's regarded as one of the most, if not the most, prolific figures in the scriptures when it comes to faith. From Hebrews chapter 11, the, the great hall of faith, we see uh, Abraham, he's mentioned in verses 8, 9, 11, 17, and 18. And you may not know this, but around the conversation of Abraham, there are two other religions outside of Christianity that also point the finger back to Abraham as a father for him, a father for them. Uh, both Jews and Muslims do this. So you got the three leading major world religions, uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam claiming this guy. And so for us to look at Abraham and say, hey, the Jews thought he was a big deal, that is a massive, massive, massive understatement because he was not only their heir, but he was their hero in faith. And I'm setting up the stage in front of you with Abraham this morning because the apostle Paul is putting him in front of all of, uh, of us. And Paul was presupposing in his writing of Romans that you and I would have an idea of who this Abraham guy is, that we would have an outline kind of his story as we read Romans chapter four. And so Abraham, remember, he chooses, or, or Paul, the Apostle Paul chooses Abraham. He's writing to Jewish uh, and Gentile Christians at the Church of Rome. And Abe, what he does is he becomes the case study 
for justification by faith, for salvation uh, by grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone. And Paul, he even begins to argue that the goat Abraham, the father of faith, was counted righteous not by what he did, but he was counted righteous by what God did, that he was justified in faith alone and Christ alone and not by his works. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to open up and read just verses 1 through 3. This is week 27 of our study in Romans. This is uh, Father Abraham had many faith. And what Paul is going to do is Paul's going to work to answer this question that the, the, the Jewish believers would have had. And, and maybe it's a question that you've had also. And the question is that he's answering is how do, how do you get right with God? How do you get right with God? And the answer, it's embedded for us in Romans 4 today. So we'll read this together. Do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word together this morning? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him. Is righteousness. So the Apostle Paul, he's reflecting here on Abraham, and and he's telling his readers, he's saying, hey, let let me tell you a story. And when you break it down, as I said earlier, this is a story about believing and belonging, because Paul, he's been defending in Romans 3, 21 through 26, this idea of justification by faith, and and now he's supporting this doctrine using Israel's uh, most distinguished and most prominent patriarch, the very guy that the Jewish folks loved, and so he reaches back into the Old Testament, he grabs Abraham, and he puts him in front of us, And he says that it's Abraham's faith, actually, that further proves this point Paul's making. And so for us, it's important that we just understand up front quickly that salvation in the Old Testament, it came the same way as salvation came in in the New Testament. And the only real difference for us in getting right with God and Abraham's getting right with God is that Abraham, he was looking forward to the promised one who would come. He was trusting and and believing in God's promises that God set up, uh, the redeemer that was on his way. Whereas you and I, what we do is we look backward to the work of Jesus that he's already done. And so the only difference for us is the time frame of where our object of faith, who is Jesus, sits. Or in simpler terms, Abe's look forward, ours looks backwards, but justification, it was, and it is is exactly the same. It's always only been satisfied and accomplished by the work Jesus did on the cross. And so, the Jews, they just heard from last week's text that, that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, gets a seat at this family table, and they have this invitation to belong by, by, by invitation of grace through faith. But, but some of the people are looking in, they're going, you know, I'm still not, I'm not, I'm not sure, Paul. When you say everyone, do you mean everyone? And so Paul goes, well, hold on. Let me tell you about Abraham. And everybody's ears perk up. And so what the apostle Paul is going to do is he's going to take the Old Testament MJ, Abraham, and he's going to set him up as his pillar, this prototype, for faith that we can follow and learn from. And we're going to talk about three things today regarding Abe. Three things. Say three. Three. We're going to first talk about Abraham's story. That he was a father and he became a friend of God by his faith. 
then that through faith he became a believer. And as a believer, God made him a belonger. And so my hope for us this morning as we look into this text and that we could see why it is so much better to receive the work that Jesus has already done than you and I trying to earn it on our own. And I hope that in some small way it might encourage or fan or challenge or grow your faith. And so the key concept we're going to carry along with us today in regards to Abe is this. It's your works or it's God's works, but really in the end only one of those works. It's your works or God's works, but in the end only one of those works. Everybody's wondering, is that my car right now? Hey, we're going to pray. If that's you, I'm going to give you a chance to slip out and go check it out, all right? Let's all pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for laughter, God. Um, And in fact, in the story of Abraham, we have Isaac, whose the name means laughter. And so we thank you for that, God. Um, Jesus, we, we pray for soft hearts this morning, God, for hard knees that create soft hearts, Jesus. And, and, and we ask that you would teach us through the story that, that Paul is telling the history of, of Abraham, that it might grow us in our faith in this place. Lord, that salvation might happen here, that someone might receive that gift that you've freely given. Lord, I know a lot of us are tired in here. And we've been running. Lord, remind us that, that, that you've come and when we believe we belong and you've made us part of your family. And so, God, we don't have to rely on our spiritual PEDs anymore, God. Because when what you've done is done. So remind us of that this morning. We rebuke Satan and demons from this place and ask you, God, the Holy Spirit, to speak through your scripture. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's your works or God's work, but only one works. So let's jump right into verse 1. Verse 1 says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Paul here, what he's doing is he takes a page, I think, out of Jesus' offensive uh, playbook. And, and what he does is he asks a question and then he immediately contrasts that question, prompting the wrong answer. And in some circles, this is known as anti-teaching. Anti-teaching. Now, I don't know if you, your teacher in primary school ever did this for you or not, but mine did from, from time to time where she would ask the class and then prompt the wrong answer. And so she might say something along the lines of, hey class, the, the sun is shining. Is it blue? And then everybody would respond back, no. The sun's not blue. A lot of y'all are looking at me, uh, look at me right now like I'm crazy. The sun's yellow, church. <laughs> A lot of y'all went to public school like me. It's, tell, it's showing, okay? The, the sun is yellow, right? And so that, the teacher would prompt with the wrong answer so that the right one might be presented. Paul is doing the same sort of uh, thing here. He's go, and he's going, what he's asking really is, how do we fit what we know about Abraham, our first father in the faith, into what we know it takes to be made right with God? And so rhetorically, he's, he's going, was it accomplished through something he did? According to the flesh? No. No. Or was it accomplished through something that God did? 
Abe didn't do anything to be made right before God. God alone did all of the work. And this is really the issue that Pastor Cody talked about a few weeks ago that split the, the Protestant and the Catholic church um, on justification. Remember that word justification? Uh, an easy way to remember it is that you look at justification and it's just as if I never sinned. When God sees me now, it's just as if I've never sinned. And, and, and so this is an argument that's been going on for a long, long, long time. And it really boils down to two options. Um, and, and options are this. A, do you and God work together for your salvation? Or B, does God alone do all the work? Do you and God work together for your salvation, or do you, does God alone do all of the work? And I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time on this, but this is one of my favorite conversations to have, and we're going to continually talk about this as we progress through Romans, so I don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but one really quick debate in this conversation of the two options, it centers around faith. Say faith. And so I'll bring that up just because we're talking about faith today. Some will say, hey, it's option A because I have to have faith to believe. Leave those options up there for me. They say option A because I have to have faith to believe. So me receiving this gift is a work. So it's me and God working together. But let me remind you that salvific faith, saving faith, it's classic Ephesians 2, right? By, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not something you've done. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Or let me frame this up really quick like this. Let's imagine for a moment that today you go home, you open up your mailbox, and in there sits a check for a million dollars. Someone anonymously sent you a million dollars in the mailbox. And then, I'm slide this in, Pastor Cody, then you got the million dollars and you're going to tithe 15,000 of it because we're trying to plant this church in Metropolis, Okay right? Hey, don't judge me, okay? It's a hypothetical million. You can tie the hypothetical 15K, right? All right. So anyway, you, you hit this, open your mailbox, you got a million uh, dollars in, in, in cash uh, that's written out to you. The money's all yours, but if you want it, you still have to endorse it. You still got to sign it. Now you and I know that in no way does signing your name to the back, there's no way, there's no way that could be considered you earning that million dollars. Your endorsement to it's a non-work. You didn't do anything to get that. Because you could never ever boast about becoming a millionaire this way on your own efforts. The million was just given as a gift. And signing your name was the only way that you could receive it in the same way when we exercise faith. That is the only way that you can receive the generous gift of God that he's given to you. And therefore it cannot be considered a work because it's not even worthy of the gift that's being handed to you in your mailbox. True faith cannot be considered a work because true faith really is about a cessation of all of your work. True faith has an object to it, and it ain't you, and it's certainly not me. It's Jesus and his work on our behalf. And so it's your works or God's work, but only one of those works. All right, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, Paul, in his, in his anti-teaching, what he's doing is he's trying to get you and me to think really, really, really critically uh, by challenging this whole misconception about faith and, and works. And so he mentions Abraham as the example, verse 1. What was gained by Abraham, our, our forefather, according to the flesh. In the Bible, depending on what translation you have, Abraham, he's mentioned some 280, some 300 uh, different times. 
in the scriptures. And we're going to talk about Abraham all the way through chapter 4. And, his, and justification, that idea is going all the way throughout the book of Romans. So you and I, we need to get to know this guy a little bit. We need to get to know Abraham. And so I just wondered this morning, have any of you ever been speed dating before? Speed dating. You don't have to raise your hand um, unless you want to. Uh, <laughs> but speed dating, it has no real relevance here, but Speed dating, if you, if you don't know what speed dating is, it's whenever you, you go on a, a series of dates at the same time, and what you're doing is you're having these short time, limited conversations with the person that's sitting in front of you, and what you're trying to know is you're trying to figure out, okay, who is this person sitting in front of me? And you're trying to determine compatibility with that person that's sitting in front of you. And so that's what we're going to do this morning with Abraham. I was trying to figure out a way that I could summarize um, around 14 chapters of Genesis uh, with, with Abraham, and so that's what I decided what we're going to do. We're going to do some speed dating uh, with Abraham for us to understand Romans 4, because for us to understand Romans 4, we have to have a sketch of Abraham's story in mind, and that's what Paul would have expected. So this is speed dating with Abraham. Tell your neighbor, start the buzzer. Start the buzzer. Start the buzzer. Here we go. In Genesis 11 and 12, we meet this normal ordinary, regular, pagan, secular guy, and his name's Abram. And from this lineage account that we see in the scripture, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, uh, we see Abram come along, and he has a wife named Sarai, and we get this detail in around verse 30 that Sarai, his wife, that she is unable to have children, that she is barren. And so as you trek into chapter 12, this really thing you, you see, really weird thing that you see, that Abram, he's not, he's not out looking for God at all, but that God is looking for him. And that's really the story of salvation, church. So Abram's not, not looking for this God that he doesn't necessarily know yet. And God tells him this. He says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a kid. And I'm going to make you a blessing. And I'm going to make your name really great. And I'm going to give you some land. And, and he makes these promises. And so he tells Abram, he says, hey, you got, but you got to pack up everything that you got and follow me. That's what, he, that's what he tells Abram. He says, leave your job. He says, leave your relatives. Leave, leave your dog. And you and Sarah, get all your stuff and, and, and come and follow me. God chooses Abram not because of anything that Abram has done. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, it helps us understand this picture a little clearer. Listen to this scripture, uh, the selection process. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, because you were bigger, badder, or better. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath that he had sworn to your ancestors, insert Abram. Now, this, this text here, obviously, it's post-Abram, uh, and it's referring to the Israelite community as a whole that Abram was a father of, but it reflects this same concept for us about Abram, that God's choice was not and is not and never will be based on any sort of human effort or achievement, but that it's always based on his own love, on his own purposes, and his own plan. It's your works or God's work, but only one works. And so here's what's happened in, in the story with Abram. God chooses Abram, and then he promises uh, to show him another land. It's a promised land. This is Genesis uh, 12, 4. So Abram, he leaves the country of Ur. Ur? Is that how you say it? Ur? Ur. He leaves the country of Ur, modern-day Iraq, to follow God. And Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram doesn't do anything. 
to get picked. But by God's favor, he chooses him. And his response to God's choosing is obedience. And this reminds us, church, this reminds us that faithful obedience, it honors God. And God, he honors faithful obedience. And so what's so crazy about this in that text we just read is that at this point in the story, Abram, he is uh, 75 years old. And so he's, he's a pagan guy. He's just a regular guy. He's never heard of Yahweh before. No one in his circle's ever heard of Yahweh. He goes down to the five-star gas station. No one's ever heard of this Yahweh before. But Yahweh has revealed himself, has spoken to Abram. Abram believes and he trusts God and he follows him. And so <laughs> Abram, he has no Old Testament to crack open. Right? Abram is the Old Testament. Moses would come and write this later about Abram. And so considering this church, let's say, let's imagine that you're 75 years old right now. And that God comes to you and he says, hey, I want you to pack up all your stuff and we're going to start this thing over. Who's volunteering for that party? Right? It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, hold on, wait, wait, wait. You mean start over? I'm 75. But you mean, you mean like start all the way over? That's what, that's what Abram, Abram does in this. He has a lot of faith in this God who's revealed himself to him. And his knowledge about God that he has, his knowledge that he, the things that he knows about God, it's really small, it's really minimal. But his, his, his faith that he expresses in God, it's massive. And so he trusts God in this moment. And, and we, on the other hand, what we, what we have, man, in our resource, we have information. We have information overload on who our God is. But what you and I tend to do is we have a lot less faith than Abram had in this, in this moment. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is assurance of things hoped for and it's confidence or the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes the not seen, sometimes the not seen it trusts the who, even when you don't know the what. Isn't it a beautiful thing when God works in that not seen space? You know, this, this reminds me, um, a lot of my four-year-old Jordan right now, I'm in this really sweet season with him. And it's like, everywhere that dad goes, Jordy wants to be part of, you know. It doesn't matter where I'm at. If I'm, if I'm going to the grocery, he wants to come. If I'm going to the gas station, he wants to come. If I'm going to the bathroom, he wants to, he wants to come and just be, be part of where, where dad's going, you know? And now, now what happens whenever Jordy comes with me is that what I don't do is I don't tell him how we're going to get to where we're going. Mm-mm. I don't tell him everything we're going to do whenever we get to where we're going. I don't open up my phone and pull out an Excel spreadsheet and say, here's the path, here's the steps that we're going to follow. Jordan, are you okay with this? Should, do you still want to come? That's not, that's not what I do. He just, he just wants to grab dad's hand because he trusts dad and he loves to be around dad. And he trusts that dad's going to lead him well wherever we end up. This is Abram's first expression of faith, church. He grabs the father's hand. And he follows God into the unseen. And so I just wonder, what area of, of faith do you need to trust God in right now? What, what kind of unseen is going on in your world where, where you need to reach out to grab the Father's hand and just say, God, look, I don't, I don't know where this thing's headed and I, and I don't have to. I don't have to know the what because I know the who. I know you and I, and I trust you, Jesus. 
Sometimes we think, man, I wish God would just, I, would, I wish God would just speak to me. And the reality is, church, that he probably already has. You just need to believe him. You need to obey him in what you know that he's said because you may not need more information about God in this moment, but you might need more obedience, more faith to him in this moment. So moving along in the, in the speed date of, of Abram, um, next in Genesis 12, 13 through 15, um, God identifies to Abram. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you about this other land. And, and he gets really more specific with his promises. Hey, this is Canaan. This is modern day Israel. And then he declares that even, uh, even though Abram and Sarai, even though they're unable to have kids, Abram's descendants, the ones that would come after him, they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is in a lot of places, 12, 7, 13, 14. Uh, but we'll read fifth, chapter 15, 5 and 6. It says, that promise that I just mentioned to you there, pull that verse up, in verse 5, and then verse 6, it says, and he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteous. So if you look at this verse right here, verse 6, let me ask you, let me, let me ask you on this, church, was it, by, was it by doing or was it by believing that Abraham was justified before God? Believing, right? He, he was believing the promise that God had, had promised. And this is actually the verse, okay, if you want to hang on to it, the verse that Paul is going to talk about in just a minute in Romans 4, 3, when he's doing his own expository kind of preaching. And, and, and so for Abram, he's, in this, uh, he's in, in, in this section, he's in this sort of waiting game <clears throat> where God has said these promises, communicated some promises to Abram, and Abram's just sort of waiting on, uh, on God to come through with the promise. And, and there's some sections in there where he's waiting and he builds an altar, so he worships God while he is waiting. Now, um, he, he's told about descendants and land. That's, in, that's the promise. And, and, and for some, us sometimes in this, in our, in our waiting with God, if I'm honest, it sometimes feel like God lost his watch. Right? Does anybody else, can I get an honest amen from anybody? Like, sometimes it feels like God lost his watch, right? Like, like he's not on the same time that you are. Like, you know, know his will and you know his promises and, and you're just sort of waiting for him to, to do what he does. And, and, and there's a difference I want to point out here. And there's, there's a difference between God's will and God's timing. Because, see, God was communicating to Abram. He said, hey, man, here's what's up. Here's what's going to happen. Here's my will, but it just wasn't the right time yet for his will. And, and from Abram, we learn that faith, it's trust in, in both God's will, his promises, and in God's timing. See, God's not slow in keeping his promises. He's always on time because he's on his own time, and that's the perfect time. And some of our greatest mistakes, church, or, or whenever we know what God has said, we know God's will, maybe for a season of our life, but we, we, we rush past him or we stay behind and we're not moving in his timing. Next in Genesis 17, God shows up again and says to Abram, he says this, behold my covenant, say covenant, is with you. You'll be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer is your name Abram. Your name shall be now from now on Abraham. I've made you a father of the multitude. Later on in the same section, uh, Sarai, she gets the same name flippage uh, to Sarah. So she goes from Sarai to Sarah. And I learned this years ago whenever I was in college in a Hebrew class. And I just wanted to share it because I think it's so cool about uh, Abram's name change. And so 
Initially, his name is Abram, right? And this, this name means exalted father. And the new name that Abram gets is Abraham, which is the father of multitude. So Abraham, he goes from a, a father of a single ethnic nation to a father of many nations. And here's the, here's the connection that I think is so cool with this. It's the hay element. It's the hay element. And this is what the hay element is about. In Hebrew, Abram and Abraham, they both have the same first two letters uh, in, in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Bet. But the significant change comes with the hay. H-E-H is a way you can kind of translate it. In Abraham's name, the letter hay, it's associated with the breath of God. And so this is, this is the breath of God speaking over Abram. And all of a sudden now his name by divine interaction is Abraham. And what happens in this covenant between God and Abraham is that he not only changes his name, but he's got a new identity to go along with his new covenant. And God gets even more specific uh, with him on this promise. In Genesis 17, 19, he says, Hey, and by the way, Sarah, your wife, she's going to bear a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I'll establish the, my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And to this point in the story, Abraham is 99 years old. And Sarah, she's 90 years old at this point in the story. And and, and, and God, so they've been in a waiting game for 24, 25 years. And God says, hey, by the way, sometime within this year, you're going to have a baby. And I bring this up simply because, just because Abraham was waiting on God. It did not mean that God had abandoned him. It did not mean that God had left him. And just because Abraham was old doesn't mean that God was done with him. Some of, you, some of you older saints in here, man, you seasoned saints, and, and that can be by age or by confession. If you've been a Christian for a minute, man, like we need you in this fight, especially as we plant another church. We need you in this battle. God is not done with you yet. Now, as a final act of saving faith, um, not, not saving faith, rather, but by active faith, sorry, in obedience. Genesis 17, 11, God says this to Abraham. Also, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And I'm going to let Johan, when we get to more of that, unpack all of that together for us. Um, but what you need to know in this is that Abraham's believing, it resulted in Abraham's belonging. So, you have this guy, okay, right, in the speed day. He goes from a guy who doesn't know God, that has no kids, and he believes. And by grace through faith, he becomes a friend of God. That's what Isaiah uh, 41.8 and James 2.23 tell us, that he becomes a friend of God. And that's what happens, church, inevitably when you express faith in, in God, when you learn to trust God, when you believe to learn to believe God and follow God in faith, you become a friend of God. And so he becomes the, the first, the founding father, Isaiah 51, the father of Israel, the rock from which the rest was cut. They, he is the favored recipient of God's grace. But, but, but Abe, he's not just their father, but he's also ours. And it's by his faith. By his faith, he becomes a father and a friend 
And so with all of that, now we can answer Romans 4.1 where Paul asked, what was gained by Abraham according to the flesh? We know the answer is nothing. He gained nothing. He is our forefather by believing. He is not our forefather in the flesh by doing. It's your works or God's work, but only one works. Looking at verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's looking at this, he's saying, hey, if, if Abraham, if there was anything that this guy did, in order to gain God's big stamp of approval, then yeah, he's got something to brag about. He has something to take credit for. And then he adds that little phrase there, but not before God. And it reminds us that the story that we just, history that we just read about Abraham, it's not a, it's, it's a God-centric story, not an Abraham-centric story. It's a God-centric story, and God just chooses and uses Abraham. Now, why? Why is this so significant? Centuries later, in Paul's day. Why does this even matter? Well, because, right, the Jews, they were all about the law. They loved the law. And the law made up the first five books of our Old Testament. It contained 600 plus individual laws. And the Jews, what they decided, they said, okay, if you do more right stuff than you do wrong stuff, then God's going to love you. He's going to judge you and send you to heaven. But, but, but if you do more wrong stuff than you do of right stuff, God's going to judge you and send you to hell. Or in other words, the Jews, they believe that your external obedience to God's law is what saved you, even if you didn't have internal, external faith. But there's a real big problem with that if we're looking at Abraham as the, the patriarch of faith because Abe lived about 500 years before the law was even written. And so there's no way that Abraham could have followed the law because it didn't exist yet. Second, whenever God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, <laughs> go read the story, the participation was entirely one-sided. So he enters into covenant. Covenant, uh, the, the word covenant, it means to cut a covenant. And so the, and it's a real serious thing in the Bible. And what would usually happen is that um, like a marriage covenant, for example, uh, a bull would be split in the middle of the aisle. There would be half of it on one side, half of it on the other. And then the marriage party would walk through the middle of it. And they were saying as they walked through the blood of the animal that, hey, if anything but death separates us, may this same thing happen to me. Covenant's a really big deal. We believe in covenant here. We, we have a family partner meeting after church today. Uh, that, that's, we have family partner covenants. We believe in marriage covenants here. So anyway, Genesis 15, God is covenanting with Abraham. Now listen to this. This is verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the two pieces. Now do you notice here in this, in this portion, who doesn't, what doesn't pass between the two pieces? Abraham. Abraham doesn't pass between the two pieces because Abraham, at this point, he was asleep. He was asleep. God did everything while Abraham did nothing. God did all of the work. God established the relationship. God made the covenant to honor his own promise with Abraham and himself. And it's like, man, how much less work can someone do than be asleep, right? And what Paul is, is really hammering home for us is that if Abraham was made right by God by something that he did, 
he'd have a real big reason to brag about some stuff. But he can't brag to God about it because God is the one who made him right in the first place. And in the gospel, we know that boasting is excluded, but why? Pastor John talked about this a little bit last week. In the gospel, when it comes to the gospel, boasting is excluded. And Paul, he was a a seasoned boaster back in the day. And so we can actually learn more in this verse from his own personal experience. Back in, or or looking forward to Philippians chapter 3, 5 through 11, he tells, Paul tells us what's up. He, He says this before he became a Christian, exactly what he had confidence in, exactly what he boasted. And listen to this. Um, this is Hebrews, or Philippians 3, 5 through 11. I'll treat a couple verses. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee, zeal, persecutor of the church, to righteousness under the law, which is legalistic righteousness. And he says, I was blameless, I was faultless. And when you look at that list just there, you're like, man, that's a, that's a pretty strong, strong list, Paul. And it's got family pedigree. He's got racial background. He's got professional success. You see that Paul, educationally, he was a thoroughbred. And when you come to religiosity and morality, <laughs> nobody's surpassing Paul. But then, as you move in Philippians to verse 8, it says, Paul says this, verse 8 of Philippians 3, he goes, it's all rubbish. It's all trash. It's a big L when it comes to being made right with God. Paul has zero, say zero. Paul has zero confidence in these things and he doesn't boast about them. In fact, he does the opposite of them and he goes, I don't need any of those things because really none of those things can help me anyway when it comes to being made right with God. And So church, there are only two options of us when it comes to faith. We can boast or we can worship. And the difference in those is all about who you're bragging about. You're boasting, bragging on, your, on yourself and what you've done. Look what I've done. When you worship, you're bragging about God and all that he's done. It's your works or God's work, but only one works. And so, what part do we play in all of this? Well, R.C. Sproul, you've heard us say this quote several times, and I'll say it again. He says that evangelism or the gospel, it's like te- one beggar telling another beggar about where to find the bread. That, that's the part... <laughs> that we play in all of this. And the Jews, they'd forgotten, man. They forgot that their privileges weren't intended for the exclusion of the Gentiles, but for the, the ultimate inclusion of all into to God's family. And so that through Abraham's posterity, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through him. Once our last verse, verse three. And so Paul, Paul goes, What's the, what does scripture say about this? This is a great starting point, church, for any question you have to bring before God. To go, what does the Bible say? That's where Paul starts at. He goes, what does the scripture have to say to us about Abraham? Has to have to say to us about faith. What was the turning point in him becoming righteous? It wasn't that he worked really hard to be made right with God. No, no, no. It's that he trusted God and that he was made right. And this is the verse of Genesis 15, 6 that Paul's referring back to here in verse 3. He says that Abe wasn't saved, wasn't saved just by just believing in God. But it says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abe believed God. This isn't that Abe just believed that God was there. This isn't that Abe just believed that God was a good God. This wasn't that Abe believed that even that, that this God could save him. He believed God. 
He had a faith in God. And in answering Paul, and answering his own question from the previous verse, what does the Bible say? He goes on, he says, Abraham believed, look at the verse, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now this word that Paul uses here, counted or, 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 or credited, it's the Greek um, logizomai, and it shows up five times in six verses from verse 3 through 8. And what this is, is it's an accounting term. It means to count as. It means to credit something that wasn't there before. And it's this major shift for us, okay? It moves from, the, from judicial to financial. It moves from the courtroom to independence bank for us. It's a reckon righteous that gets deposited that cannot come from good deeds. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that God treated Abraham just as if he just as if, though, he was living a righteous life, his faith was not righteous, but God counted it as if it were. And so that carries us into Romans 4, 4 and 5, with, with saving faith, that salvation, it's a gift, not an obligation, that salvation is a reward, it is not a right. And at the end of the day, it's simply a transfer of our trust. You know, when I, when I step back, Looking at the story of Abraham, how he's a father in our faith. You know, a lot of us look at Abraham and we think, you know, Abraham, he was a, he was a really great guy. You know, maybe that's, why, maybe that's why God picked him. But the truth is, he made some really significant errors. And Abraham, what I didn't tell you earlier in our speed date with him, was that he asked his wife Sarah to lie about their relationship, and then he gave her away twice. Abraham... He, he rescued, at one point, his loser le- nephew, Lot. And then the promised land that God gave to Abraham, God, or Abraham gave it, handed it over to Lot. Abe complained to God about God's promise to him for kids in that waiting period. That God hadn't yet done, set, done what he said he was going to do. And so Abraham, he got tired of waiting, and he committed adultery with a lady named Hagar, and she got pregnant. And I'm not sure if you've heard of Ishmael and Islam before, but you can thank Abraham for that false religion. So Abraham, man, he made a mess of things. So how could it be that he's the father? He's the, he's the first. He's the prototype of faith for us to follow. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you see Abraham's faith show up, but what, what you don't see is God the Holy Spirit did not prompt the writers of Hebrew 11 to mention any of his flaws. And this is some great news, church, for those of you who would believe that Abraham, he was saved by faith in a faithful God, and if you have submitted your life to the God of Abraham, he has credited your account, and he has wiped your slate clean too. The whole point of Abraham is that God is in the business of fixing messes. And and that there was a better father in heaven watching this all along who would one day send his only son, the better friend, to come to this planet through Abraham. 
And this covenant that Abraham's given, it's fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. He is Abraham's seed, and through him, he brings salvation to everyone who would believe so that we could both believe and also to have a place to belong. And, and, and this morning, church, I just wonder, if God came through for Abraham, despite Abraham, I just, I just wonder this morning, what makes you think he can't do the same exact thing for you? It's your works or it's God's work, but only one works. 